From Washington, this is the MacroCast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Hello, it's Friday, May 13th, and you're listening to the MacroCast brought to you by Hamilton Place Strategies and Market Policy Partners. I'm Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at HPS, and I'm filling in today for Tony Frado. I'm joined, as always, on the show by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Market Policy Partners. Guys, great to be back co-hosting this week. Yeah, it's our it's our all Massachusetts lineup. <laughs> I love it. It was such a ugly week that I, I was a little tempted to say, let's just scrap it and talk Celtics and Bruins and... We'll, we'll come back when there's some better news to, to bring to folks. But um, I guess there's I guess there's too much to cover. We uh, woke up this morning, at least I woke up this morning um, with Elon Musk messing around again with with anyone who owns some Twitter stock. <laughs> um, he, was, he seemed to be out. Then he was back in. It's paused. It's unpaused. But um, I, I kind of am. am reluctant to start there but i feel like we have to so maybe if you guys like what what's your thoughts on what he's doing but more importantly how this is just it feels like another bomb being thrown into a, a rough week in the yeah market. and i think that context is important brian it really is as as if investors need any more volatility these days you know we've got the nasdaq down over 27 percent year to date that's horrendous and uh, and that is, you know, many of the most popular stocks and certainly the, the high flying uh, tech, uh, you know, the, the tech frontiers uh, really disgorging even more of their uh, of their outsized profits. I mean, upside over the last few years, it really is a it, it's it's a challenging environment. And into into that and into that arena wades Elon Musk. Right. <laughs> so he was. Yeah. The temporary suspension of the deal was centered around, appeared to be centered around his uh, request for more information on the percentage of fake accounts on Twitter. The company's management, I guess, has published 5% as the figure, um, which I guess Elon thinks is low. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and b- besides that, it was it was kind of an ugly week. It was a week where I avoided checking my Robinhood app or, or any other <laughs> results. But um Seems largely driven by by fear that just the inflation concerns are still high. Um, seems like the market is just predicting that Powell will have to bring us into some kind of recession to get out of this. Um, oh, am I reading that right, or what's what's your take on it? Yeah, the markets certainly seem to be reflecting growth concerns. They're caught between you know growth and inflation concerns. That's your stagflationary. Uh, dynamic, which is really problematic. You have the yield curve in the treasuries, not really knowing where to go. Uh, you know, you obviously have the front end pushed higher by expectations of Fed hawkishness and and rate hikes uh, expeditiously, as they uh, as as uh, Chair Powell said. Uh, but you know, the the reality is, uh, you know how how much how much further can they really go? Uh, you know, at at this point, you know, and so with expectations of growth slowing down, some indications of demand coming off. And so you get that back end of the yield curve where all the action is that 10 year, 30 year. It's like, is it is it going to respond to inflation and go higher or is it going to respond to growth concerns and go lower? And uh, and that's kind of the tug of war that we're seeing. You also had a situation where on Wednesday, the the CPI report was coming out. So that was the big um, event of the day of the whole week, actually, probably of the month also. 
Um, but the you had a number of large Wall Street banks uh, put out reports saying that they believe that March was the peak in inflation and that their future projections were too high and that, that inflation is going to come off, you know, not fall off a cliff, but it was going to moderate uh, quicker than Start they had dropping, expected. Yeah. So you had a market that was expecting a, uh, a CPI print that was going to come in lower than expectations. Uh, so the fact that it came in, you know, even just in line, if not a little uh, higher on the core reading, it, it, you had a market that was offside. People thought, okay, this is a, it's a bottom picking uh, opportunity. And then the numbers came in worse. Um, then you had the next day followed by the, the PPI. So honestly, in terms of like the way markets work, it probably was the best thing to happen where the market thought it was ready to, to buy the low. It might not have been. And then you had a, a very much a capitulation event this week where you just had an indiscriminate selling across the board. Um, and, and then also, uh, John, I, equity markets are fun to talk about. You know, they, they go up and down. But, but I thought the, the most interesting market of the week was the, was the treasury market. Yeah, you know, and that, and that really is the, you know, when you have that, uh, that dynamic of, of investors really being caught between the inflation, inflation concerns, growth concerns, these are blending together. And, uh, and so we had seen, you know, the 10 year yield, uh, you know, and the longer dated yields shooting up to, you know, these multi year highs, and, uh, and the 10 year getting over 3%. But then in this kind of, you know, these, these have a self limiting dynamic, in yeah. some in some ways, you'd say, right, right. the higher the treasury yields, more, the more risk off, uh, the dynamics get and people flee back into longer dated treasuries. It's, it's, it's like circular reasoning. <clears throat> oh, right. it, it was a bad inflation print. The yields have to go higher. So they immediately spiked and then they were above three and they're like, oh my God, the, the, we're going to choke off growth. So then people pile back into treasuries and yields go down. Yeah. <laughs> it's And then, and then when you see yields go down, the equities investors are like, oh, yields are lower. <laughs> Let's buy. Let's buy uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> garbled um, on the on the inflation front so it, it seems like no cliff in sight just going back to what you said brandon like you know well, I, I, there are much like march we, we, we've and, probably seen the peak in inflation but i mean it yeah. was a, an enormous peak um but i do think that these these data showed that it's going to be a little stickier than we hope yeah. uh I, I think we will will moderate also i mean just simply the base effects um things have spiked so much like gas prices are you know 430 a barrel that's i mean a gallon that that's quite high but they're not not gonna wood gonna go to nine dollars we're gonna kind of stay in this in this level so the the month over month change and then also going forward the year over year change is going to moderate uh we also had some quirky things uh you know uh, airline fares were up uh 18 percent so now airline fares are back to where they were pre-pandemic. So we'll find a moderation here in airline fans. Yeah. So that, that one component added a 10th to the month over month change. So the, if, if airline fares had been normal, uh, the other thing is used car prices have started to come off. Um, the, the Mannheim index has it down um, over a percent, uh, but the BLS changed the way that they, they measure it and they only had it down a fourth. So there are deflationary forces coming in. Yeah. The uh, the worry is the the rent component. Um, 
is remaining sticky. So that that will going forward be a you know a big contributor to it. But I was just going to ask you about housing. There's there's rent, and then just the the housing market in general is is just changing, right? Interest yeah. rates going up much higher. Supply is going down. Are so that's an interesting dynamic for the Fed because the way that we measure housing is we measure just rent if you're rental, but also if you own your house, we don't measure, oh, your, your house went up 12% from right. you know, $100,000 to $112,000. We, re- we measure it how much you can rent it for. So all of our housing is based on rent. And w- so the 30-year the is, is well above 5%. It's, it's doubled in, in a couple months. We are seeing a slowdown in, in new buying activity. We also know that we have a massive shortage of housing. So that's a dynamic where rent can stay elevated, you know, because we're not building anything new. Um, that then, as a policymaker, is is a little bit of a, a conundrum where you know we kind of do it in a quirky manner. Um, and and if you're going to very very much focus, oh, we're at you know point we're at four four and a half percent, but a lot of that is because rent is sticky and a lot of that is because right. we don't have a supply is it best to to keep raising rates and put us in recession which will then uh you know drive uh drive rents down or you know maybe stay steady and try to help people build new houses yeah i yeah. mean the european central bank has made that distinction a lot that distinction between you know inflation that's a supply shock that is taxing on growth that sort of balanced approach you know and we're looking at but policymakers are really in a tough spot here. The Fed has focused very much, uh, you know, has has said growth is strong enough to withstand considerably, you know, higher interest rates, and and that's the way in which we're headed. Uh, but they are noting things like the China lockdowns, and there's this sense that those shock waves have yet to really hit the numbers, hit the economy. You you're, we're seeing you know more selective price increases, like gasoline futures hit uh, all time high yeah. this morning, yep. and so no this diesel. is. Yeah. And so this is all, you know, the potential to have another that and another inflationary wave. Uh, but it looks like it might be that wave might be washing ashore with, uh, you know, with with lighter demand pull, I think, as the economy gives a cyclical slowdown. here. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get an Apple computer because Shanghai's locked down, I, I'm not exactly sure what the Fed raising, you know, 75 basis points is going to do to exacerbate or it will exacerbate that situation. Maybe. Yeah. And just a last point on this, you know, when you look at market based gauges of inflation expectations, tip, the tips, the tips market. Five yeah, year, I wanted to get to this. Swap. So maybe fully explain this. This is a really important point. Yeah. So this is I mean, basically the Treasury inflation protected securities are uh, once you, when you subtract the yields that they give from the uh, from the regular yielding treasuries that's your market based indicator of what expectations in the in among investors in this asset class are uh, are thinking will be where inflation is and and if it's 5 years and 10 years are usually what they look at but those are kind of stylized that's more like medium term and long term don't sure. necessarily the years literally and those have you know when you look at the 5 years had the biggest swing i mean this topped out at 3.73% in march of this year that is a that is a very lofty number, but it's notably lower now at two point nine one percent. The ten year has moved a little bit less. Uh, it topped out at just over three percent, and now it's two point six three. These are you know these are coming off in uh, coming off the the tops. Uh, you know pretty 
pretty significantly. Here. Yeah, and it really yeah. happened this week. It, they, they, yeah. If you look at the chart, it, it, it looks like a, you know, like a cliff. Yeah, yeah. and when you look at like, when you look at the, industri the, the industrial metals, for instance, which aren't experiencing the same kind of supply shock that other commodities are, well, those prices are down a lot. And uh, that has, you know, something to do with, you know, global growth, in particular, sort of Chinese property sector growth. So it's inflation and these kind of supply shock dynamics are getting, you know, more diffuse. Uh, and, uh, and that's, I think, you know, eventually the Fed has to contend with that. But right now, they're still, you know, at, at uh, hike as much as we can. From yeah, right, right. Let me, uh, before we take a, I know we need to take a break. Uh, but before we get there, uh, let me just ask you about the Fed. So I, I don't think it was a big surprise. But right, Powell did get you know, confirmed this week, 80 votes. Um, seems like we're going to have the, the full Fed team in place here fairly quickly. Um, is this just non-news to the markets or a little bit of reinsurance? I mean, they've got a lot of work ahead of them. Yeah, I think it's 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 the baseline where the market was. There weren't any yeah. expectations out of line with what happened. And so, you know, everybody's got the, the Fed is pretty unified now. And even if you're, you know, putting additional, the, the, the new members coming on, you know, it's really a, a very uniform uh, policy, unified policy stance. Uh, even the doves uh, sound pretty hawkish these days. And, uh, you know, the differences in, you know, more about the sort of 75 basis points versus 50 basis points. It's, you know, it's not splitting hairs, but there's a, there's, there is not wide dispersion of, of, uh, of policy views on the committee at this point. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, let's take a short break there. We've got uh, the other big news of the week. If you're following the crypto markets at all, just uh, ugly, ugly week. So we'll come back in a minute and uh, talk more about that. You're listening to the uh, Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at marketspolicy. Uh, we're back on the Macrocast. This is Brian DeAngelis filling in for, for Tony Frado this week and, and with John and Brendan of Market Policy Partners, as always. Um, guys, the other... Big news, and I, I think very related news to, to the market volatility we talked about in the first segment was uh, just an ugly, ugly week for, for crypto. We saw a, a major crash, a death spiral, if you will, of uh, a stablecoin, Terra and, and Luna, um, which really what we saw, they, you know, they just lost their peg to the dollar. It just you know, over Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday and Thursday, just, you know, really started to, to fall apart. At one point, they had to halt the blockchain. At one point, then they tried to kind of restart it. And I think at this point, it's it's somewhat safe to say Luna is, is dead and we'll see where things are going. But, you know, this started to have, you know, real ripple effects. We saw Tether lose its peg to the dollar, another stable coin, one of the largest stable coins. Uh, this coincided with Yellen up in front of House Financial Services Committee talking about some of the FSOC risks. So uh, very timely in that sense. But, you know, it was um, there. There's a lot, as you guys know, and we've talked about and worked on happening in Washington 
right now around crypto regulation, crypto stablecoin. This was a big week for that uh, and caused, well, just create a lot of attention back on this. So I'm, I'm curious for you guys, you know, uh, I think this, you know, the, the crypto sort of follows the markets a little bit, but then at some point this week, I think the markets had to kind of react to this this crypto crash because it's a lot of the same players. But l- let me get your take on how this all went down. Yeah, the uh, the crypto uh, the crypto volatility this week definitely spilled over into the Nasdaq into the cryptocurrency involved and cryptocurrency adjacent tech companies. We saw you know outsized declines in Nasdaq uh, coinciding with this turbulence in crypto. You know, it really is. You know, the Essentially, the mainstreaming of crypto, you know, it's a process, not an event, uh, but it has negatives and positives. Uh, You know, I think that we've seen this as potentially an example that, you know, as you get bigger and more mainstream and you're, you're going to draw the attention of some pretty big mean players potentially on Wall Street. (laughs) There are some pretty, pretty sharp people out there that are interested in making a big ARB. And if you're an easy target, if you're a weak wildebeest, you know, then maybe you're uh, the, the speculative kind of attack. And that's what this is kind of being characterized as, as a speculative attack being compared to George Soros's attack on the pound way back when. And uh, that is, you know, the, those compared, they've also made sort of breathless comparisons to this being crypto's Lehman moment. Um, you know, the, the reality is, you know, this is this is this is part of what it means and to be a more mainstream asset class. And uh, and, you know, when you have things like like the market, the physics of financial markets aren't suspended, you know, indefinitely for crypto and stable coins are a peg. And there's nothing more speculators like to attack than a peg, particularly if your peg is wobbly. Yeah, right. And, you know, the idea of you need you need backing, obviously, the assets to back that peg up. Uh, but those assets have to be, you know, those have to be trusted. They have to be transparent. And usually the operator has to have some kind of track record um, for those to be really credible and hold up under the kind of stress that we saw this week. And obviously, I think that's the key point here, right? Like I, personally, I'm a uh, I'm pretty um, sold on on crypto, right? I'm, I'm a big believer in the the technology behind it and. I do see the the future use cases in in a lot of respects, but a lot of these coins at the same time. I mean, it is it is based on market confidence. It is based on speculation, and when you lose that, you know, you you end up in one of these death spirals. And when we don't have a a regulatory framework to kind of manage any of that, you're just left with really a race to the end and, and some big moments. So I, I think this is a crypto winter moment. I think there will be a lot of lessons learned coming out of this. I don't think uh, this is a moment to say crypto is dead, but I do think you're going to see, I mean, you saw it with Yellen, but but the pressure now, if it wasn't there already, has just ramped up big time on SEC and others. I, I do want to ask, I mean, I... My, my formative years in, in politics and economics was 08, right? I, I, Chris Dodd hired me a few weeks before, you know, this all started in March 08, and, and then it was just a ride. This is not 2008 to me. And uh, with all due respect to friends in the media, I don't know if it's 
just an easy comparison and and some quick lazy reporting or or what but uh i see a lot of differences between the two am i am i wrong on that uh, yeah, there are a lot of differences. And, you know, obviously things can change uh, over over the course of time here. But as it currently stands, uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen made this key distinction, orderly markets. You know, we've seen, you know, two way market price action. Obviously, overall, the trend is down. It's not been positive, uh, but it hasn't been panicky, crashy, you know, gappy kind of price action. You get, you know, a couple of down days and you get a rebound. And that's, you know, what is supposed to happen. And policymakers have been increasingly, you know, previously had been increasingly nervous that asset values might be getting out of hand. This is, you know, in some ways quite a relief to them. And yeah. uh, and so and, and you got to keep things in perspective. The, the S&P and the Nasdaq and a lot of these stocks are back to where they were right before the pandemic started. Right. Everything pure. Right. We, we handed out five a crazy couple of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we handed out five trillion dollars. We we stayed home and did nothing. And and then we also uh, pumped in a, a massive amount of monetary stimulus. And we didn't stay home and did nothing. It, right? it found like, its way into things. And now it's kind of finding yeah. its way out of it. And we're back to where we started. It, it, it's not it, it, crypto is maybe a little different. Uh, we have so we've well, one point seven trillion in crypto. The, yeah. the, the whole subprime losses were one point three uh, trillion. Yeah. Uh, what I do worry about is a huge amount of retail bought fairly close to the highs in the crypto market. So there could be some pain there, but uh, it's not systemic in my opinion. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, we, in some ways we didn't do nothing over the last two years. A lot of us rightly or wrongly, smartly or not smartly downloaded the crypto apps, downloaded Robinhood. We took our extra cash. We started becoming yeah. amateur retail investors and all of this stuff probably bought a lot of this stuff at at highs right it, it's become yeah well NFT was recently it was listed yeah. for 25 million dollars and it sold for 115 dollars and that 115 is probably too high right right and so yeah there's there's going to be some pain and i think that's um i mean my take on this is a, a long view which is just there are going to be growing pains like this if this industry and this ecosystem is going to stick around and yeah, like two. I don't know how many coins are up to, but they won't all be here in five years. <laughs> yeah, but like yeah, two thousand, two thousand one. That's not that wasn't the end of tech. You know, that's right. right. Yeah. We well, I mean, adjustable rate mortgages. We we still have adjustable rate mortgages, but now you have coming to back. Do yeah, background check, and you have to uh, you know at least put something down. Uh, I think it's similar with the crypto market. You know, it, there will be crypto. I, I'd imagine Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, will exist in the future. I don't yeah. know what it'll be worth, but I don't think a lot of these other uh small coins are gonna are gonna make it and also um st there's a lot of stable coins that aren't stable yeah and it's and even though the the size of the crypto market is large it's hard to shake the foundations because institutional investors aren't really all that into it right yeah. and uh, and so you don't have big allocations to it it is seen as a very risky and sort of niche part of the portfolio still and uh, and so when you don't have those vectors into you know the the foundations of the financial system and the major players and the too big to fail crowd you know, it's hard to have these losses in the crypto world translate into something that's really systemic. You can't rule out like that kind of snowballing panic kind of procyclical yeah. dynamic that can happen. But, uh, you know, and it's still young, right? A lot of these guys are still figuring it out. I mean, I yeah. watched guest after guest on CNBC the last two days of like, listen, I'm not buying, but I'm not going to short it right now. I have no idea what's going to happen. 
Yeah. I mean, and the stable coins really are, you know, our view on from markets policy partners since uh, the end of last year was really that crypto would still remain a patchwork. They were going to, they were going to struggle to have any sort of motion toward a comprehensive crypto bill and, uh, and regulatory approach. And so we think it's still this patchwork. Uh, the Gensler, obviously at the SEC is, uh, is intent on uh, blanketing them with securities regulation. The treasury wants tax compliance, anti-money laundering right. and, uh, and, you know, and, and consumer protection uh, as part of it as well. I mean, these are, these are must, you know, these these are things that they want to achieve. But the high priority that we've always uh, flagged is the stablecoin, and this is, you know, the events this week. I think uh, really put a uh, an emphasis on that, an exclamation point at the end of the need for uh, uh, for some regulation. Yeah, and Janet Yellen talking about these are money market funds, right? These are money right. market mutual funds. Yeah, because the, the crypto crowd always said, you know, we're crypto, we're not a financial product, and if you ask the question, the response was, you don't get it. Coinbase just had their earnings and in it, they had to disclose that in the, the event of bankruptcy, if, if you, your assets held at Coinbase, would, you would be a creditor. So yep. <laughs> your it's not just like depositing money at the you know Bank of America, where if Bank of America was bankrupt, you got all your money back. I can back. still get all my dollars back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Coinbase, uh, you would get maybe none of your crypto back. Yeah. Well, let's take a uh, let's let's take a break there. There's probably hours more conversation we could have, but um, we'll come back and uh, Brendan, maybe you can give us a view on on what to look for ahead next week or or anything we missed in this wild week. But uh, we'll be right back on the Macrocast. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through hamiltonplacestrategies.com. We're back on the Macrocast. Uh, this is Brian DeAngelis filling in for Tony Frado, uh, as always with, with Brendan and John from Market Policy Partners. Um, Brendan, are we going to have as ugly a week next week as we saw this week? Well, on the data front, it's, it's much more quiet. It's actually a big week for China. Uh, there's a number of important uh, data points out, but also the PBOC uh, will um, has a decision on their lo- their loan prime rate, which is their essentially their Fed funds rate. Yeah. Um, uh, at the last meeting, they, they've held it uh, steady. But uh, China just um, this week had um, a default. One of the, the fourth largest uh, uh, real estate developer uh, was unable to pay one of their bonds. So th- there is a lot of uh, pain in the uh, in the Chinese housing market. Um, and a lot of it also is somewhat self-inflicted, but with the, the new lockdowns. Um, and then um, the U.S. has a number of uh, housing data out. But the, the big uh, the big report from next week will be the U.S. retail sales. Right. Uh, anything else we missed from this week, or should we just get ready for our our Celtics Bruins, hopefully finales? <laughs> Go Bruins! All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you uh, letting me uh, jump in here and take the wheel this week. Uh, for all our listeners, thanks as always for tuning in to the Macrocast. I'm Brian DeAngelis with Hamilton Place Strategies. Thanks again to John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Market Policy Partners. Hope everyone has a great weekend and we'll see you back next week. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.